What a great privilege it is to worship together and to sing praises to God and now to open up God's Word together. What an what a awesome uh, privilege and responsibility we have to uh, take the Word of God and handle it accurately. And that's my, my hope and prayer. It's a funny thing about growing up. Some people want to grow up too fast. They want to uh, instantly become mature. Now, others don't want to grow up at all. They want to remain, you know, kids. And it's that way spiritually as well. Some of us want to become instant heroes of the faith. And then others want to be uh, spiritual Peter Pans, perpetual childhood. As Christians, we should desire to become mature in Christ. And our passage for today points us uh, to that truth and how we can become this way. So please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 5, and when you find that, please stand with me as we read God's Word, if you are willing and able, and, you know, just standing to read the Word doesn't uh, do something magical, okay? But when you read in Nehemiah, the people responded when they, when they heard the Word of God. Yes, they stood up, but they also uh, raised their hands to the air and praised God. They also bowed low with their faces to the ground. But there was a response, and I know for me, just the idea of, of, uh, of standing. You know, I, I try to, um, to uh, follow the, the pattern that when a lady walks in the room, the gentlemen are to stand. And, uh, and then also, in our gathering, when the word is opened, we stand out of respect and out of honor for what God has to say to us. So we're just reading a couple verses today, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This is the word of God. And I will just remind all of us what 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 say. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we tremble at your word, and we know, Lord, you have something to say to us today, and I just pray that all of our ears, mine included, will be open to hear what you have for us, and we know, Lord, that as we come to your word, you change us. And we pray, Lord, you would change us this day more into the people what, that you want us to be. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. Well, I'll tell you what, after reading this scripture, there's a lot of questions that come to my mind, and I'm sure come to your mind as well. The first would be, how can you spot a mature Christian? I mean, many of us in this room are mature adults, but are we mature spiritually? Are we spiritually mature? What factors 
play into immaturity. It's a prevalent problem in the church today, immaturity. God wants us to be moving forward towards Christ's likeness. But many are regressing. Many are deteriorating due to neglect and due to wrong focus in life. Now, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is uh, the beginning of a very difficult passage in Scripture, one that I have actually uh, been studying. Usually I study the passage right the week before, and I've been studying chapter 6 for uh, about six months now. Uh, next week is D-Day. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you what, uh, chapter 5, verse, 14, uh, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 20, is one of the most debated passages in all of Scripture. And uh, both interpreters of the Bible as well as expositors of the Bible have a, uh, a, a huge task and also they can't get away. We can't get away from our theological bent. We can't get away from our own opinions. And I am, I am praying like crazy that I will not mix too many of my own opinions into these weeks as we go into this passage of Scripture, especially today. Today, you know, here the writer has been talking about some, some very objective things, how Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And all of a sudden he stops. And it's no longer objective. He gets personal. Now, we pastors, we preachers, we got, you know, sometimes we step on toes, all right? I know that. Sometimes we don't just preach, we begin to what, what's called meddle. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is meddling today. Let me just tell you right now. So if your toes get stepped on, hey, I'm, a, I'm all the way up here, all right? God will be doing the stepping. Uh, we're influenced by our the- theological bent, by our own ideas. And so when we come to this passage, we've got to, to say, God, what, what are you saying to us? The writer here is just is getting real, real strong. Some of the strongest, most severe language in all of Scripture aimed at believers. A little preview of what's to come next week. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. The warning against apostasy. Really, this whole passage, beginning at uh, chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to 620, is this warning path, the third warning passage in Hebrews. But next week, we'll be warning against apostasy, against falling away from God, against repudiating Christ and putting him to open shame. Then the next week, we'll uh, have a measure of encouragement and reassurance. But right now, he is rebuking them for immaturity. Immaturity. I don't know how many times I've said to, to certain people, you are acting so immature. Funny thing, though, I hardly ever say that about myself. We're like that, aren't we? We think other people are immature, but, but we always measure ourselves by the standard of maturity and growth. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jews. Some of them were saved, but they were wavering. Things were getting tough. Persecution. They were wondering if they should go back, back to the supposed good old days of the old ways. There were others that were intellectually convinced, but not yet saved, and others that were outright unconvinced. It's kind of like the average evangelical Christian church when we come to worship. You got a lot of believers, you got some, you know, kind of hanging on to the arm of their spouse that's 
kind of thinking about it, but not quite sure. And then others with their arms crossed just saying, show me. Prove it to me. You're not going to be able to. I understand. I was that way once. The purpose of writing. He was writing to show them that they ought not to fall back into Judaism. Ought not back to go back to the shadow of the reality. Back to the, the shadow, the figure of the true. They were going to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he wanted them to press on to the reality that Jesus, who is better and stronger and greater than anyone or anything, ought to be their focus, ought to be their goal. He was reminding them of the truth. Don't turn back. He was writing to people like us. People like us to deal with doubts. People like us to deal with insecurity. People like us to deal with wavering in our faith. So what exactly is spiritual maturity? First thing is, it's a process. It's not a point in time. It's a process. It involves spiritual growth. In a life of a born-again believer in Christ, it's spiritual health, it's, it's progress, it's movement toward Christ-likeness. Becoming like Jesus. God is in the process of conforming Christians into the image of Christ to be Christ-like now why talk of maturity when the the bulk of this small passage really deals with immaturity because the very opposite of what they were doing is what we ought to aspire to the very opposite of their condition is what we ought to be moving towards and so I want to take the high road today And look at what our goal is. Speak of what we desire. What we're aiming for. But why does maturity matter? Why does it even matter to even talk about this this morning? What difference does it make if we're growing or not? I'll tell you, without it, we get stuck. We're stuck in a place. And then we either go backwards or stay right there and just settle in. And we don't fulfill God's purpose for our life when that happens. We're to grow up. We're to be useful to the master, equipped for every good work. We're to make a difference. All of us want to be a part of something that is significant. All of us want to be a part of something that makes a... We know that our life is making a difference. Why maturity? It's part of the spiritual growth process. I mean, physically, babies don't stay babies. That'd be wild, wouldn't it? They don't stay babies. They become, you know, toddlers and then... And then preschoolers, and then elementary students, and and youth, and then adults at age 26, right? We grow. Now, spiritually, what is characteristic of maturity? What characterizes it? What's the evidence? In this passage, I see three marks of maturity. Now, two are hinted at. They actually come from the negative of marks of immaturity. We flip that over, and we know what maturity is then and one is specifically clearly stated and these are by no means exhaustive i mean i as i studied this this week i realized everybody's got a list of what it means to be mature you have something in your mind right now what does it mean to be a mature christian you have a picture but the things i'm going to share with you today are really general headings under which specific character traits and actions can be listed look at verse 10 for a moment 
he, the, the, the writer says that Jesus was designated by God as a priest, as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, it's a second mention of Psalm 110, verse 4. And so the logical flow of this passage would be just go on and keep talking about this order of Melchizedek in an objective sense. Uh, the significance of Christ being on the order of Melchizedek. Well, now he does this in chapter 7, verse 1 and following. But first he stops and gives some practical advice uh, concerning their spiritual condition. So there's a mark of maturity. There are marks, there are ways that you can know if you're mature or not. Well, let's look in here. First mark. The first mark is a solid grasp of God's truth. A solid grasp of God's truth. Now, it's not mere knowledge. It's not an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible that could tend to make us arrogant. 1 Corinthians 8.1 talks about that context and how knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. No, it's knowledge mixed with understanding. Displaying itself in love and humility and gentleness, not arrogance. Now go to 1 Corinthians 3 for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is addressing the Corinthians very similar to what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. In verse 1 he says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual but as to men of flesh, as to babies, infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Even now, you're not able. You are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? One of you says, I'm a Paul, another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Got a problem. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And we need a heart that's hungry for God. We need a heart that wants what God wants. Look at verse 11. Here was the problem. The writer says, Concerning him, who's him? It's Jesus, whose priesthood was on the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say. There was a lot to say about Melchizedek. This shadowy figure in the Old Testament. This mystery man who comes on the scene out of nowhere. There's a lot to say about him. And it's hard to explain. And it wasn't hard to explain because the writer of Hebrews couldn't explain it. Or he wasn't able to explain it. It wasn't hard to explain because it was some some just crazy idea. It was hard to explain because the, the hearers couldn't hear. They had become dull of hearing. That was their problem. There was a lot to hear. But they couldn't handle it. About whom much is to say, but you can't handle it right now. About Jesus and this tie in Melchizedek and his priesthood. How he's better than the priesthood of Aaron. But they were dull of hearing. Literally, it means they were lazy and sluggish. You ever get like that? You don't want to move? Just want to lay there? For a long time. Lazy, sluggish. 
It was an acquired condition. It says, they, you had become dull of hearing. They had become that way. It was as if they had this buildup of spiritual earwax that was clogging up their ability to hear. Every once in a while, I get that. I get this big old thing of wax in my ear, and the, they got to do the little irrigation thing, and out comes a big old plug of wax. It's gross, I know. But I'll tell you what, you know, I, my, uh, Angela tells me sometimes, you know, you got a, you got a hearing problem. you got, got an auditory discrimination issue, you know. Selective hearing and all that, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we lose our hearing physically, though, and that's not a joke. Some of us have lost our hearing in an ear or two. Now, spiritually speaking, we can do that as well. See, the people that had originally been hungry and eager to hear the word of God, they wanted to grow and to respond, but they cooled down. Fire had gone out. They were no longer ready listeners. Other things had captured their attention. Their attention had been diverted to things on the periphery. Reminds me a lot of the church of Laodicea that Jesus spoke to in Revelation 3. He says, you know what? You're not even hot. You're not even cold. You're just lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because I don't like that. See, we need a solid grasp of the truth. Knowledge mixed with understanding that's showing itself in love and uh, humility and gentleness. Not arrogance, but it will be seen in our doctrine and it will be seen in our practice. Not just what we say we believe, but how we live. We need a solid grasp of God's truth. That's the first mark. And the people that the writer wrote to here did not have that. They didn't have it. They were dull of hearing. They were lazy. They were, they were sluggish. Now there's another mark. It's this. Not just a solid grasp of God's truth. Not, not just that knowledge mixed with understanding that is seen in not just profession but also in practice. But also an active involvement in helping others grow. Helping others grow. A heart to help others. A helping heart, if you will. In 1 Timothy, chapter 4. First Timothy, and 4, Paul's talking to Timothy. And listen to what he says. He tells him to point certain things out to the church. Verse 6. He says... In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine which you've been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance For it is for this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Look at verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things. Do you notice verse 6? Pointing these things out to the brethren. Verse 11. Prescribe and teach the things I'm sharing with you. There would be an active involvement on Timothy's part to help others grow in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. You know this verse. 
It says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There was to be a passing on of the truth, a passing on of the faith, a helping one another grow. This wasn't done in a vacuum. This wasn't done just me and Jesus. This was a, a we and us type thing. See, the problem, though, for the people that this writer of Hebrews was writing to, look at verse 12. He says, by this time you should have been teaching others. But you have need to be taught yourself. And not just going on teaching, but go back to the beginning and, and hear the ABCs all over again. You've got to learn your ABCs again. The, the Greek words in here actually point to that. The idea of one after another, line upon line. You've got to go back to the beginning because... You lost it. The problem was they should have been teaching others, but they needed to be taught foundational things again. It had been long enough since they had been born again that they should have been passing on the faith to others. They should have been well grounded in their faith by now. They should have been sound in the faith. They should have been mature enough to teach. Now, not every believer is expected to have the gift of teaching, but every believer is expected to give an answer for the hope that's within them with reverence and fear. Not all of us have the gift of teaching, but all of us ought to be actively involved in helping others grow. The problem was, these readers were like children spiritually. They, they could only take the basics. They could only understand truth on a basic level. They needed to review the basics again. You see, God wants us to be other-oriented, not self-focused. But our tendency is towards uh, self-involvement. A baby is focused on their own need. You know, wow, 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 right? feed me, clothe me, change me, tickle me, I don't know, whatever, you know. But they can't talk, they can't chew, they can't share with others. It's like, hey, you want some of this? You know, no. You know, you want some of these, uh, you know, mushed up carrots? No, just give me all those. I'm eating those myself. Can't share, can't talk, can't chew. Focused on their own needs. And that's what these people were like. Look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He says in verse 12, you have need of milk and not solid food. Got to give you baby food. See, infants need milk. Baby food versus solid food. Milk versus meat. The milk drinker here is incapable of anything beyond that. Any more solid spiritual food because they had become dull of hearing. The most basic spiritual truth was all they could handle. See, God intends us to make progress, not to regress or stay in the same place or have to go back to the beginning and start, you know, uh, eating baby food spiritually again. Now, sometimes that's what we want. I got to tell you, all of us want that sometimes. Just give me something easy. Give me something comforting. Give me some, com- give me some mashed potatoes, right? Give me some um, strained peas, me some plum pudding or whatever that, you know, the good stuff is in the baby food line. Uh, we, we, we want baby food sometimes. We don't want to go further. We just want to stay comfy. I know I do. It's like being in bed on a nice cold morning. You just want to stay warm. 
in your little blankies. Solid food. Now, what do we mean by solid food? We don't mean, you know, this huge bank of theological uh, uh, knowledge that we just kind of carry around and show everybody. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's word of righteousness. Do you see verse 13? Not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness lived out in our attitudes and behaviors. We're to share God's word of righteousness with other people. Gospel and growth, evangelism and discipleship. Parents passing it on to the kids. Older passing it on to the younger. Mature passing it on to the immature. That's one of the reasons I I love having all ages of people in worship. From the youngest to the oldest. I love that because when we gather as a body, we're gathering to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are gathering, uh, we set aside one time all week, right? And and I love it when all of us come in together because, in a sense, that can also be a teaching time. That kids see their mom and dad praising God. Kids see their mom and dad with their Bibles open. Uh, and then they look around and see others. And we, we're together. And that's the way the faith is supposed to be passed on. Generation by generation. Integrating those ages. So I love that. It serves as a teaching tool. We all need to feed on God's word of righteousness. That's why I love the fact that there's all ages in here right now. We're feeding on the word of righteousness together. We need to do that in our homes. We need to do that by ourselves, with other believers. We've got to feed upon the word of righteousness. Maturity comes as we feed on the word. We grow by it. We grow in respect to our salvation that way. See, in the body, we're to also have this deep care and concern for each other that shows itself in active involvement in helping each other grow. Bearing each other's burdens. Praying for one another. There's to be this care, this concern, this, this feel of community among us that, that isn't you know, pre-manufactured but comes about as we uh, live life in close proximity uh, to one another. You know what it's called? I got a, a new word for you maybe. It's, it's definitely spell check catches it. Uh, generativity. Generativity, you know what that is? That's when, then, when you're walking down the road and you get a, a fair piece down the road and then you stop, you stop and you turn and you help others that are coming up the road too. Has someone done that for you in your life? I'm sure many of you in your, in your business, people have mentored you as you were coming up the road. Uh, in your marriages, the same way. And in the faith, even more so. I can name man after man Denny Clemenson, Buck Rarick, Charlie Allard, older men that took an interest in a young guy and helped him along. And many of you are doing the same thing in my life right now. You are helping me to grow, hopefully towards Christ-likeness. It's, uh, been, it's been my privilege to be your pastor now for nine months. Nine months today, actually. I'm a date guy, okay, so... You're going to get tired of this. Uh, Nine months. And I'll tell you what. uh, You're having that kind of effect on me. Sorry.
It's true. You're helping me grow. In ways you don't even know. Uh, There's another mark. And it's where it gets tough. It's a... Is a tough one. It's a uh, rubber meet the road kind of thing. It's a demonstrated ability to discern between right and wrong. It's a heart of discernment. Look at verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Through practice, through constant use, their senses are trained to discern, to distinguish between right and wrong. 1 Corinthians 14, there is a an admonition, and it's a short one, but it's packed. It says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. And I had to tell you, there's been a few references here to children so far. I love children. Children are awesome. Children, uh, Jesus says, you need to come to him as a child. Humble, open, learning. But here it's a contrast between immaturity and maturity. And it says, don't be children in your thinking. Yet in evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Do we have a constant battle between good and evil? We live in the midst of it every single day. We have a renewed heart in Christ, but we still sin. What did Paul say in Romans 7.21, I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. What do we do? See, the normal Christian experience is that believers would be growing spiritually and be able to discern between right and wrong. Uh, Our faith is not an abstract thing. It's not divorced from life. What we believe must work its way out into our lives or or something is really wrong. We have to discern, which means to know and act accordingly. It doesn't mean to stand back and go, uh-huh, that's right, that's wrong. <laughs> no, it means uh, know it and then walk towards it and make the decision that's based upon it. It means to choose. A mature believer has a sensitivity for a godly life. A sensitivity that can distinguish between good and bad uh, results of a decision not yet made. Do you get that? The ability to distinguish between right and wrong and the results of that on a decision not yet made. In contrast, a baby will stick almost anything in their mouth. Right? Not knowing whether it's good or bad for them. There's some baby food, I'll eat that. And there's a necklace, I'll eat that too. And there's some rocks. When I was a kid, I ate rocks. I don't think they ever came out, I don't know. Uh, 
Practice. Practice. Practice is skill acquired by experience. Spiritual senses trained like an athlete. Practice makes perfect. That's how experts get good. They do something good over and over and over again until it becomes a part of them. Almost like just a part of their spiritual DNA. And as our minds are saturated with God's standard of righteousness and His assessment of what is good and evil, we can consistently, more and more so, choose the good and avoid the evil in the decisions we face. Now, it won't be 100%. Sorry. <laughs> We're not going to get to the point where we never sin again in our life, okay? That would be arrogance, right? We are just going to keep on making decisions, but hopefully we're growing and moving toward Christ's likeness, meaning we'll be making more decisions in the spirit and not in the flesh. I'll tell you, a great example of what we're talking about today is Daniel. Great biblical example of the marks of maturity. Here was Daniel. He and his friends uh, faced many challenges to their faith, didn't they? They faced... Uh, being taken away from their homes and, and being forced into a, 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 a secular and uh, ungodly education, actually. They mastered it, though. They didn't run away from it. They mastered it without letting it master them. Because they had a solid grasp of biblical truth. They were given heathen names, a subtle pressure to forsake God. It didn't affect them. They stood firm together. They were given idolatrous food to eat. But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. He was able to discern between good and evil. Daniel was there when it came to the marks of maturity that we're talking about today. So what does it take for us to get there? Well, the first thing it takes is time. You cannot put this one in the microwave. Okay? We've got to redeem the time, not waste it. And I'll tell you what, it is possible to be young in years, those of you that are younger among us, that you, it is possible to be young in years but old in hours. Do you know what I'm talking about? To be young age-wise, chronologically, but be becoming more spiritually mature because of time you take with the Lord. And even you could surpass some of us that are older chronologically because of your fervor and, 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 and enthusiasm towards God. It's happened before. You know, you see a young believer just making strides and you feel like you're stuck in the mud, running in quicksand. It takes time. It is possible, too, to be old in years and young in hours. To be old chronologically and to be immature spiritually. You can be old and immature. You can be young and maturing. Time. But it also takes honesty. Uh, to reveal stuff, not to fake it or to hide things. But to be honest enough to admit when you need help and to seek the help and to seek to change. There are some of you here that are doing things you know you're not supposed to be doing. That you are actually ashamed even sitting here this morning knowing what you're involved in in life. You know what you need to do? First, obviously, confess it to God. But get with a friend you trust and tell them the truth. Confess it to God and to others. Confess your sins one to another. Be willing to be held accountable. 
Because that will lead to the third thing, which is connection. Connection with God and his word and other people. Don't disengage. First thing a lot of people do when they start getting caught in sin is to disengage. Where you get away from the protective covering of the body of Christ. And you get into dangerous waters. Allow God to engage your heart and your mind and your soul. You know, the writer of Hebrews here is wanting them to engage their minds. You know, as we're connected to, to the power source, the power of the resurrected Christ allows us to gain a grasp of God's truth to the extent that it comes out in love and humility and gentleness and in our actions, and it enables us to live with convictions to the point of discerning and choosing right in a world that obviously has gone very wrong, in a world where biblical moorings have been cast aside everywhere you turn, even in the church at times. But we need to be careful. We've got to be careful because I know, about, I know I'm tweaked in my thinking. I get the weirdest ideas sometimes. And there is a difference between what we're talking about and other things. For example, there's a difference between maturity and spirituality. Maturity comes with time and experience. Spirituality has, a, has to do with a desire to have God in control of your life. It's our momentary relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, we want to be controlled by Him. There's a difference between maturity and spirituality. There's also a difference between immaturity and carnality. See, we can be immature if we've only been a believer for a short time. That's normal. They're baby Christian. They're going to grow up. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to make silly mistakes. They're not going to be doing them like, on purpose against God, but they're going, to be, they're going to be stumbling and falling. But carnal Christians are those who respond to problems of life out of the sin nature. And I do that all the time. It is possible to be mature and carnal. The way we th- see things is not always accurate. The writer of the Hebrews, again, is calling them to engage their minds and to think it through. It's possible for us to display these characteristics in pairs. Our goal, maturity and spirituality. The worst, uh, you know, immaturity and carnality. But we can be mature and carnal, making decisions based on the flesh rather than in the spirit. And we can be immature and spiritual. A baby Christian, but really wanting to do what God wants. Now, the recipients of this letter seem to be immature with periodic lapses into carnality. It wasn't good. It wasn't a pretty picture. But I'll tell you, we can apply these truths to the, to the situations we face. You face a loss of a job or a, a loss of a relationship or a, a disappointment of any kind. You face challenges to your faith or, or any kind of thing, a life-threatening illness, you're dealing with that right now. Many of us are touched by that. But when facing anything, no matter what, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, we can, we can respond in different ways. Obviously, there's grief and there's pain and there's, there's tears in life. And, and you read the Psalms and David was very honest with God. We're not supposed to pretend like everything's great. But the immature say this. They say, why did God do this to me why is God punishing me what did I do to deserve this and they stay there 
You know, we might ask questions like that at times, but if we're, if we're growing in Christ-likeness towards maturity, we don't stay there. We come out of that. David started a lot of psalms like that. But he never ended like that. It always ended with, God is my God. God is in control. God is with me. See, the mature response is, God always does what is good and right. The mature response is, I'm going to trust him no matter what. The mature response is, I'm not going to get cheated out of one day here on earth. I will not get cheated. None of us will get cheated out of one second here on earth. All the days that were ordained for us, God ordained them before there was even one of them. Our times are in God's hands. Now, as you take inventory and you think about where you're at, I've been thinking about this all week long, and I tell you, I've been convicted. You take an inventory of your spiritual state and and you may find that once you were growing and now you're regressing. You were making progress and now you're deteriorating due to neglect or allowing other influences into your life that you know ought not to be there and ruining things. Ask yourself, how long have I been a Christian? How long? How long has it been? What progress have I made? Am I stuck? You want to get unstuck? Let's go into chapter 6, right up in there. Repentance and faith. Faith toward God, repentance, turning from our sins and going back to the Lord. See, I want to live a biblical Christianity, a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring Christianity that is flavored with love and humility and gentleness, a grasp of the truth, a connection in the lives of others and helping them grow, and then being able to, to say no, no, yes, I'm going that way. Seeing ahead and knowing what is right and what is wrong, having the senses trained. See, the marks of maturity are valid because when they're dependent on internal things, not externals. Powered by an inward heart attitude that drives them. See, God knows. If our lives don't reflect the truth we profess, we're living a lie. We're playing a game. I don't want to play a game. You don't want to play a game either. I want to say a couple more things. First of all, God is looking for progress, not perfection. He wants us to be making progress. But we have those quirky perception issues, isn't it? Isn't it funny? You know, they're immature. I'm not. Um, God knows. If we're humble and gentle like Jesus... We're going to see ourselves as we really are. We're going to see God as he really is. We're going to know the difference between the two. We're going to live with a healthy sense of unworthiness and a large dose of grace toward each other. A large dose of grace. We're going to be able to put up with each other's bad habits and our frailties. And we will go much farther than that. We will go beyond that. Many of us have stumbled and fallen. And for those who have stumbled and fallen, maybe over and over again, I want you to listen well right now. Maturity is defined by my present, not my past. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul had a whole list of things. We'll find ourselves in many of those things. He said, you were once like this, and like this, and like this, and like this. You were once this way, but you were washed You were cleansed. Maturity is defined by my present, not my past. 
I tell you, if that's you today, I want you to say that out loud with me. If you're struggling with that one, where you think, I am, I'm, I'm disqualified, it's been, I've gone too far, I want you to say this with me. Maturity is defined by my present, not my past. We will all live with regrets, but God wants us to be making progress toward Christ-likeness. Confess the sin, repent of the sin, forsake the sin. Don't go back to it. Move, move in direction towards God. We're not adequate and sufficient in and of ourselves. I'll tell you what, human adequacy and sufficiency is a bunch of baloney. It is a facade. We tend towards self-reliance. That's a lie. It's a dead end. Jesus is our adequacy and Jesus is our sufficiency. Our hearts are renewed in Christ, but we still sin. We need him daily. We need Jesus every single day. He substituted himself in our place so that we might live. We are to look to him alone as our sufficiency. We are to look to him alone as our adequacy. In terms of growing up spiritually, in terms of maturing. And we have to look to him as the measure of ours and others' maturity. That's his call. Because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. When we get that truth in perspective, the things we're worried about, the things we're angry about, the things we're bent out of shape, out of shape about, they don't matter anymore. They, don't, they lose their power over us. And we can press on to maturity because Jesus is the Lord of our progress. Jesus is the Lord of our growth. Let's pray. Lord God, oh, we need you so much. Lord, we want to press on to maturity. We don't want to stay baby Christians, Lord. Lord, forgive us for, for our lack of faith, too, thinking that we have to just wallow in our past. Oh, Lord, pull us out of that, Lord. Lord, pull us out of that and, and draw us near to you. And put us on the road once again in movement toward Christ-likeness. That's our prayer, Lord. And we thank you that we can come to you with that request. Knowing that you will answer. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please stand with me as we're dismissed. I got a great verse to read to you, and uh, just want to remind you too that there's those bookmarks in the in the bulletins that are are for you to use. Read the word with a view towards love and humility and gentleness and in impacting other people's lives and being used of God for His glory. Uh, read the word together with your family, with other believers, and uh, Pastor Ed and I are going to be up here. Angela's going to be up here. Uh, a few others will be up here. If anybody needs something, to, they need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We want to pray with you and for you. And uh, let me just read this verse, Philippians 3, two verses, uh, 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a great day.